Let's talk about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. That's right. No more excuses. Get your lazy ass off the couch. Go start a podcast. There's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone with computer. Once again, no more excuses. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Could it be easier? Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. They're paying us for this ad. Thank you very much, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. This is The Dime, a 10-minute dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? This is The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man here, Kellen, breaking down the science side, and I am Brian, breaking down the business side. This week, we're talking about cannabis and its pungent smell. One of the most common criticisms about cannabis, it has a very distinct and pungent odor, sometimes referred to as skunk-like, whether it is burning or not. While this may be an issue for some and not for others, the understanding of how this works and why it happens can be challenging for cultivators themselves. Kellen, do large cultivation facilities have this extreme pungent smell? Yeah. I remember when I was working up in Washington, we had, it was a 10 acre outdoor farm kind of in a more agricultural focused community. And the community kept filing complaints with the municipality about that smell exactly and um there's you can't really do much about the smell outdoors but there is a specific time during the year when the plants change from vegetative to flowering and they become extremely pungent it it, it's pretty it's pretty wild like we could you could smell the farm from maybe a mile away so it's definitely a thing (laughs) Have you ever been around a, an outdoor farm, Brian, from a, um, dealing with that kind of a smell? Yeah, it's, it's incredible how vibrant those, those smells are. And it's, it's one of those where from an outdoor farm, I've had minimal experience with that. But from an inside the house smell standpoint, it's, it really hits home. For me growing up, my brother used to do a really, really good job of, of hiding his, his pot in his room, except for the fact that it stunk up the whole house. And my mom would say, Jordan's here. And we'd be like, what do you mean? Jordan hasn't been home all day. And she'd be like, nope, it smells like Jordan. I know he's definitely home. So I think the best way to describe it is it's probably great for consuming it. It's not great for hiding it. So I wonder, Kellen, like, how does one mask, like, how does that smell originate like that? Why does it get more pungent? What really intensifies the smell of it? Um, the smell is strictly the, the volatile terpenes, right? So those monoterpenes that have low boiling points. Um, and the plant, just, the plant releases them as a form of immunity. This is its defense mechanism to fend off bugs and pests, right, from consuming the flowering portion of the plant, right? So it is literally a self-defense mechanism within the plant to protect the flowering portion of it from insects and pests from destroying the plant, right? So once it starts to flower, it will just constantly release those terpenes as it continues through its flowering stage. So 
Uh, that's the scientific reason why it happens and the strength and how pungent it is. This can kind of all be tied back to the original genetics and uh, the strength of those genetics and all that I think is just a, a whole nother topic, if you will, from um, why certain strains are have stronger terpene presence could potentially be on geographical regions and the pests that they're trying to prevent from eating their flowers in say Jamaica versus Washington are drastically different. So you could have very different uh, terpene profiles based on the pests that they're trying to defend against, I guess. Um, but that is, uh, I think another topic as far as mitigating the smell, um, the most common way I've seen at an indoor cultivation facility is with, is with carbon filters. Um, are you familiar with carbon filters at all, Brian? Nope. So this is the same thing as your Brita filter, right? So it's just, it's literally active carbon. Um, and active carbon actually binds with these terpenes. And so, um, funny story actually, they were, uh, carbon filters eliminate all smells, right? It's not just cannabis, but from an industrial use, they have been employed in the cannabis industry for the last 30 or 40 years. But more recently in Portland, there was a huge uptick in purchasing of carbon filters because of all the wildflowers, wildfires this year, right? So they're like these massive cans, right? They look like just a straight cylinder can and they're about chest high, maybe five feet tall. And you put a big fan on it and it literally sucks the air in and kicks it out, right? And so it's literally just pulling out organic molecules out of the air. And everyone in Portland started to um, put them in their house to mitigate the smells from the wildflowers and to make it safer to breathe inside their house, you know? And so that is really the way that I've seen cannabis uh, smells mitigated and, and they do work, right? Like there's a lot of people that have been grown indoors and no one knows because of these, these carbon filters, you know? Um, are, did you ever have experiment with some uh, small filters uh, consuming cannabis growing up, Brian? Yeah, I use the uh, toilet paper and I put the dryer sheet on the edge. Yeah. Use that. Uh, that's an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredible device. I, thinking back on it, not the best, considering I could have just taken my lazy ass outside instead of smoking in my dorm room. But in the moment, it was like, <laughs> hey, like this is going to suffice for us. And we're just going to sit here. And instead of going down one flight of steps, we'll just use this concoction of a toilet paper roll with a it's pretty incredible because it smells beautiful after right like you 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 spoil it then you're like it smells nice and clean it's like i just did a fresh load of laundry but is that is that the same masking capabilities as what you're referring to no that's kind of i think where um that's what what why febreze became such a massive product in the marketplace is that most uh, sprays, if you will, that are supposed to quote unquote eliminate odors or just masking it. Right. And so with your dryer sheets, your dryer sheets just have a bunch of terpenes on them. Right. So say we have lavender dryer sheets, they're going to have a ton of linalool on them from a monoterpene perspective. And really you're just blowing hot air over the dryer sheet, which then is causing the linalool to turn into a vapor or a gas. Right. And then now you're getting to smell a lot of that linalool. And because of the concentration effect, there's just higher concentrations of that lavender smell than the cannabis terpenes, right? So what I usually do is I suggest using a, um, uh, 
a paper towel roll because it's longer so you can get more dryer sheets in there. I can only imagine that my college <laughs> RA was like, Brian's doing laundry again, except for the fact that he doesn't have a washer and dryer machine in his room. So like, what is happening? But I'm sure that was low-key very obvious to what was going on. Listener question for you. I want to go back to the, the skunk-like smell it gives off. Is that one distinct combination of terpenes? Where did that get that origination? How, how does one, like, that's a, a common stigma now is like people smell cannabis and they immediately associate that with, with that skunk smell. Is it similar to a skunk smell? I've never smelled a skunk, but where did that origination association come? How did that kind of come about? Can you kind of just kind of dive into that? Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely smells like a skunk, right? Like, I, I live in the mountains in Colorado, and people run out. Skunks get hit, unfortunately, on the road all the time in Colorado. And it's wild. Like, even growing up, like, we would drive by a, a skunk that was uh, killed on the road, and I literally would instantly be like, Cannabis. is there weed in the car? Like, I smell weed. Like, this is wild. And so, like, it is literally, it is identical to some strains of weed. Um I don't know why from a scientific perspective. I mean, my guess, <laughs> it was just my opinion or uh, an educated guess, I guess we could say, is that there's going to be a similar chemical profile that some strains of can cannabis have that the skunk is producing as a defense mechanism as well. And so if we tie it back to kind of like the biological evolutionary meaning of those two smells, if you will, is the skunk uses that combination of chemicals to ward off potential predators, right? The cannabis plant is using a combination of chemicals to ward off potential predators. And so for whatever reason, nature has found that, hey, turns out if you're trying to ward off predators, that this specific chemical profile could be the, or is the best or the optimal chemical profile of persuading predators to not attack you, right? So that, that would be my guess. I have no evidence to really support that from like a chemistry perspective, um, but it's, I feel like it's a good guess, right? Like, do you have a guess, Brian? To be Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed. And I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us. Continued.